weeks um, looking at the book of Galatians. It's a New Testament letter. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the Bible, it's, it's written by this early uh, church leader by the name of Paul. We're told a lot about him in, in the New Testament, told a lot about what, he, um, what his life was like, what he did, um, how intense he was. And, and we've, been, we've been dealing in these first couple of chapters, and we'll be dealing with it today in one more week, in what I would I think you could easily classify as a defense, right? He's defending something. He's defending, um, to some degree, his own credentials. He's defending, uh, certainly, his message, what he calls his gospel, um, which is in his, uh, what, what he would argue, and I think what we would argue as well, is the central message of Christianity. And he's been doing this because there's people who've come in and they're, they're trying to discredit him and trying what he the way he would describe it, is add to the gospel, add to the gospel of Jesus. And so he's been arguing over and over about the, the centrality, and not even centrality, that's too light a word, the exclusivity in the gospel of the perfect work of Jesus. That Jesus plus anything else just messes it all up. But Jesus plus nothing else gives you everything. And that's what we've been looking at. And today, today he moves into not only was I, was, am I willing to, to uh, or not only did I not get my message from anybody else, I got it from Jesus himself, but I was willing to go toe-to-toe with the big guy, not Jesus, the other big guy. I was willing to go toe-to-toe with Peter because I think this was that important. So if you have your place, we're in Galatians 2, starting in verse 11, if you'd stand in honor of God's word as we uh, stand under its authority. I'm going to be reading chapter 2, verses 11 down through 16. Okay? This is God's word. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet even we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is God's word given so that you and I would flourish. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us, open our hearts, open our minds, enliven them. For those of us who are are already checked out, we're already ready, we're thinking about lunch, thinking about what we have to do the rest of the day, I pray that you would Bring us back. Um, yeah, give, us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of our Jesus. And faith, faith to believe again. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. So here's something I know about you, even though chances are I don't know you. Okay? I'm the new guy, there's a very good chance of that. I know... That if you are a Christian, you have, in fact, experienced a time in which you engaged in a conflict of identities, in which the identity Christian 
lost. I know this. And I know that it wasn't that long ago. This will probably get some of us upset, but it's still true. COVID pushed things to the surface which had been hiding up to that point. And one of those was that in this culture, politics and political affiliation trumps, pun intended, everything. Everything. When church leaders did their best to make decisions according to the information that they had and their own best attempts at wisdom in the midst of a crazy time, everyone took issue. The issue that people normally took generally orbited around political parties, right? If you made one decision, you were a radical right-wing COVID-denying Trump homer. If you made another decision, you were a Fauciite lemming who hates freedom, American apple pie. And those though kind of humorous, that was reality, right? We are very, ide- very familiar then with the idea of a tribal identity supplanting our identity in Jesus. That the identity of our tribal affiliations is more important, more important than our unity in Christ. And that's what's happening here in this passage. And it's raising the question of whether there is anything more ultimate in the life of Christians than their faith in Jesus. Anything more ultimate that might break whatever fellowship we might have than Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning and see how Paul addresses that, okay? If you're already a little unnerved and a little disrupted, just stick with me, okay? I love you. We're going we're gonna to make it through together, okay? Let's, let's look uh, first at verse 11 and how, how he's dealing with playing a role. Let's re- review where Paul has taken us again, just real quick, because I think it's important. Paul said, the gospel that I preach didn't come from people, didn't come from apostles before me, even though I'm equal to them. It didn't come from them. I didn't learn it from them. I learned it from Jesus. I learned it directly from his lips in a revelation, he says, of Jesus Christ. That's what I learned, he said. And then when I actually did get together with the apostles, they decided, the other early Christian leaders, they decided to add nothing to my message, that the gospel that I preached was the same that they preached. They didn't say, well, Paul, you got that right, but just add this. He's like, no, no, no. We were all on the same page. And now he's saying, not only that, but I was so certain of this gospel that it's not just that I didn't get it from Peter, I was willing to challenge him when he was out of alignment with it. Right? So look down at verse 11. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the word Cephas uh, is a very odd name. But it's the, it's the Greek word for, or it's, it's the Hebrew word, sorry, for Peter. It, it means rock. It means, and so the, the guy's legit, like, his mama didn't name him Peter. His mama didn't name him Cephas. His mama named him Simeon or Simon. And Jesus came along and named him uh, Peter. You can read about that in the Gospels. So that's Peter, uh, and, and he's coming to Antioch. Now, you can read a lot about Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Okay, if you want to go to the left a little bit in your Bibles, you'll find Acts. Go to chapter 11, you can read about Antioch. Antioch was a very important uh, 
group of Christians in the early church. Very important because they were really the place that started the idea of intentionally sending out people to other places to tell other people about Jesus. The city was incredibly diverse. The leadership in the church was incredibly diverse. They were diverse uh, culturally. They were diverse racially. This was a, this was a, a melting pot, and, and the, the church leadership reflected that. Okay? And so Peter is coming to Antioch, which also happens to be where Paul and Barnabas, this other guy he mentions in the passage, are from. This is their home church. They are elders, pastors in this church. Paul says, when Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That sounds kind, doesn't it? I opposed him to his face. I was up in his grill. All right. What this means is public confrontation. Before his face is another way of saying I publicly confronted him. And I know we have, a, we have some issues with that today, especially in the church. We're like, that's not the right way to do things, da, 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 da. But you have to understand why Paul publicly confronted Peter. And it's because what Peter was doing was very public. And it was publicly taking other people and leading them in bad directions. And so he did this not because he was just a jerk, liked calling people out. He did this because he was, he was thinking about the other folks that are involved in this. And we'll see how that plays out in a minute, Okay. And it says that I did this because he stood condemned, which is to say um, he was clearly in the wrong. Like it was just obvious. It was obvious. This wasn't a matter of opinion. This was clearly obvious. He was in the wrong. Now why? Well, look down at verses 12 and 13. It says this, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But then when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. We'll get to that in a second, but let's set the scene. So Peter comes to Antioch, he's visiting, he's hanging out with a church full of Gentiles, has some Jewish believers in there too, but the most of the church is full of Gentiles. And so he's sitting down and he's eating with them. So what does that mean? Well, I mean, on one hand, it's, it's he's eating what they eat, right? Probably having a bacon cheeseburger, like digging it. He's, he's digging this, this food that he wasn't allowed to eat. He's sharing table fellowship with this group of people. Now, to us, that just seems not that big a deal, right? Let's be honest. Who you eat with, it's like, you know, you go to a restaurant, you may be at one of those long tables in which there's people down at the other end of the table and you're eating with them. But I mean, what's the, what's the big deal? Well, in the first century world, and especially in the ancient Near East, table fellowship, which is another way of saying who you eat with and eating with another person, was a huge deal. Like when you ate with someone, when you sat down and you ate with them, they were part of the family. It wasn't just like, hey, we're having some neighbors over for dinner, we're just going to hang out, and like, we, we don't really like you very much, but we're hanging out. It's, you come into my home, the, the, rule, the cultural rules of hospitality said, you come into my home, sit down at my table, you are like family to me, and I will treat you as such. And so the eating together of Jews and Gentiles, was actually symbolic of something else. Sym- symbolic of, what, of, of how Paul understood the gospel. It's like, see, the work of Jesus brings together two groups, and many groups, if you think about who all is in Antioch, into one family. See, we're one family. And Peter was like, yeah, we're one family. Finally, I get that bacon, and we're all good. Like, we're going to eat together. And then... Some other guys show up. It says people from James. Now, the James he's talking about is Jesus' half-brother, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, where Peter came from. So obviously these guys know him. 
Why are they coming to Antioch? I don't know. Probably not to cause trouble. There's no other, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no hint in here that they are there to cause trouble. The trouble isn't caused by them. The trouble's caused by Peter, right? So they come, and all of a sudden, Peter gets liver quiver. Like, he's thinking, what will they think of me? And so this is where the rubber meets the road, right? You can go out of town and visit. You, you can travel for business. You're out of town doing something. You're like, hey, I'm partying it up. And then people from church show up, and you're like, ooh, I can't do that anymore, right? And so Peter's thinking this exact same thing. Maybe that seemed like a good idea, but, man, i got to go home. Like, i got to go back to Jerusalem at some point. And what are these guys going to be talking about? Right? And so it says that he separates himself from the Gentiles. In other words, he's just going to eat with Jewish folks. Because, of course, in Jewish culture, Gentiles are not to be eaten with. They are other. They are a different group. They are, they are um, not equal before God. We are set apart because of our Jewishness, and so they are not equal before God. So we're going to eat by ourselves, and yeah, yeah, Jesus can help. We'll all worship together. But when it comes to the table, I mean, that's just a bridge too far. And so they're, they're, this, is, this is clearly stating something. If, if the idea that, Paul, that, that Jesus is bringing together these disparate people into one family, then the, the separation that's going on is Peter saying, no, no, no. In God's people, there are two different groups. There's us, and then there's y'all. And you can't come to our table. You can't. You're not like us. You're not as good as us. You're not as pleasing as we are. And so it says that Peter does this because he fears the circumcision party. It's just an unfortunate phrase. Um, Pastor Steve wants us all to, to, to be reminded that this is not a political party. Um, that would be very odd. <laughs> Let's talk about that platform for a second. Um, but no, this is, what he means is the, the group of Jewish believers. He's talking about the group of Jewish believers. He feared them. Not as if he thought they were going to kill him. Like that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're talking about the fear of their opinion. You know what that's like, right? If, if other Christian friends see me hanging out with the wrong kind of people, what are they going to think of me? Well, maybe I shouldn't hang out with those wrong kind of people. Whatever that wrong kind of people is. Fill in the blank, right? And so Peter's basic question is, what am I going to do around those that know better? <laughs> know things the way I do. Peter broke table fellowship with the Gentiles and all of, and his actions led to all of the other Jews, including Barnabas. And Paul says, even Barnabas. And we're like, I don't really know what that means. Barnabas was Paul's first missionary partner who went around to the ancient world to a bunch of Gentiles and preached Jesus to them. Like, he was eating with Gentiles all the time. Even Barnabas is led astray. 
This is not a little thing. As weird as this sounds, as difficult as this is for us to get, this is, this is, an, this is an argument going on between Peter, about to be going on with Paul, in which we're trying to figure out who is in the family of God? Who is okay with God? Are there, are there the super Christians and the rest of us? Or are we just, it's just us. Now, look at how Paul understands this problem. Look down at verse 14. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again Peter, before them all, if you, though you're a Jew, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how are you telling the Gentiles to go live like Jews? Okay, when it says that he is He's not in step with the truth of the gospel. What that means is he is believing one thing, at least saying it, but he's not living it. And you and I, all of us know that the biggest truth, the biggest indicator of what we actually believe is not what we say. It's what we do. Because when we go and do something that we know we're not supposed to or that we don't do something we know that we probably should, we say to ourselves, I know better right? I know better. Yeah, well, maybe. And so he's saying that you're not living up like this. And, he's, and this whole thing of like living like a Jew versus not living like a Jew. This is what this means. Culturally, in Jewish culture, and listen, this wasn't like they just came up with this. This was in the Bible, right? In Jewish culture, there were certain foods that were clean and certain foods that were unclean. There are certain animals that you're allowed to touch and certain animals that you're not. There's certain processes that go on in the human body that if you do them, like, you got to stay away from people for a few days. And, and listen, I would love to give a, a helpful understanding of that. Maybe if you're really curious, you can come over to when I'm answering questions because I, I really dig that, like, talking about why that is. And no, it's not because God really knew pigs were bad for people. No, that's not what it is, okay? There's something a little more than that. Um, but it, what, what's going on is, like, this, the J- Jewish folks had always had that. And... And when Jesus came on the scene, specifically we're told in Mark's gospel that he said something and did something that it said, by this he made all foods clean. Which meant he was saying that what what you used to do there, no longer essential. He would say, he would look at it and go, that was a signpost directing you to something. Here I am. Don't stop at the signpost anymore. And yet, after Jesus is raised, Jewish folks are believing in Jesus, they're still sticking to those things, which in and of themselves aren't bad. It's really okay. Some of us eat meat, and some of us don't. It's okay. It's not righteousness. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here. You're, living like, you're not living like a Jew. You come and you eat whatever you want. You're under, you seem to be living in a way that says, I don't need to be culturally Jewish. But then you're separating yourself and you're telling the Gentiles, like, no, 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 if you really want to be part of us, you have to be culturally Jewish now. Paul's like, this hypocrisy. What are you doing? You're saying, you're, you're saying one thing. You're saying Jesus and Jesus alone is my hope. And you're living. Saying being Jewish is the thing that matters most. So which is it? Which is it, Peter? How does this work? And so he continues. And listen, I know that most of our Bibles don't have, don't continue with the quotes here, but this is still part of his discussion with Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Okay? Now, when he says, we're not Gentile sinners, think of that sarcastically. Basically, what he's saying is, look, Peter, I get it. We're not them. We were raised, for, let's, let's move it to us. We were raised in the church. We know the rules. We know how to worship. We're not like these Johnny-come-latelys into the church, these adult converts. We, we got it. We know the whole thing. We know about the quiet times. We know about you know, how you're supposed to go to the prayer meetings. We know you don't eat until the blessing is said. We know this, right? Except fries. Fries are fair game. All right. <laughs> Serious. It's in the Bible. All right. Um, we know that. We're not like them. I get it. I get it, he says. We have the right rules. We got the right worship. We're awesome. And yet Paul says, but even still, we know we are not justified by works of the law. Now, those are, that's all churchy phrases. The word justified, okay, is, is a way of talking about being in the right. Technically, about being made right with God. It assumes that none of us are by nature. Like, we're not right with God. And we are made right with God. And and so that word justified, when you see that, just think of it as being made right with God. I'm right before God. And Paul says, we know that it's not through these, these things, these works of the law, and we'll get to what that means here in a second, that's not what makes us right with God. Okay, so what, so what does he mean when he says works of the law? Think of it this way. What works of the law mean, ultimately, are markers. Like, what sets you apart? What is it that makes you different from your neighbors? Like, if your neighbors aren't Christians, Paul would say, well, what is it that you know makes you different? Is it because you've got your act together? Is it because you're smarter than them? More beautiful than them? More wealthy than them? Is it because you were taught good morals? Because you know the religious answers? What makes you different? What sets you apart? What makes that division? When all is said and done, what is it that makes, sets you apart as a Christian from someone else? And by implication, if that's the case, is there something else that would set you apart from other Christians? Right? Now, I said that there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, uh, well, there, there's a little bit of a difference that I want, to, I want to highlight here. Most of the time, when we come to our Bibles, your English translations are, like, awesome. And I know that many of us, especially ministry folks, we, we came at some point to believe, like, the, the <laughs> we'll call it a lie, uh, an exaggeration, that, you know, if I really want to understand the Bible, I need to know it in the Greek right? There's like a few times where that gives you a little bit of a nice little insight, okay? Not saying it's not important. It's really important. I translate every week, but what I'm saying is most of the time your English translations are super faithful, but right here when it says, when he says this, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through, and in the ESV it says, faith in Jesus Christ. There's a debate Okay, stay with me for a second. I know this is, there's, there's a debate in whether or not that is supposed to be, and it, it's two ways you can take the exact same word. Is it faith in Jesus Christ or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ? Okay, 
Here's what I'm going to argue. When he says this, what he means is, are we justified by these things that set us apart? Or is it Christ's faithfulness that sets us apart? Okay, I know that seems academic, but here's why this matters. We are justified through faith, not by faith. Okay? We are justified through faith. It is an instrument. It is the thing through which we are able to, by the Holy Spirit's work, to be united to Christ. But what justifies you, what makes you right with God, is not your faith. If that's the case, then when you wake up tomorrow and your faith isn't so good, what are you going to believe? Maybe I'm not too right with God. Or, even better, internally when you're not sure but you go hang out with other Christians, are you going to be honest about where your faith is at? If it's your faith that makes you right with God? No. You're going to hide it. You're clinging to Jesus with your fingernails, but you're like, nope, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, and I believe it. We are justified through faith in Christ, but our justification, our being made right with God, is not based on our faith. It is based on Jesus' faithfulness. This is huge because the problem that the Bible lays out for us, for you and for me, for all of humanity, is not that our issue is we just don't have faith. That is not our problem. Our problem is that we are hopelessly broken, hopelessly stuck in our betrayal of God, hopelessly that we can't do the things that God says to do, we, and we can't stop doing the things that he says not to do. That we, he, he wants us, he calls us, he's created us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and most of the time set on our own, we hate him because his standards are too high, and he's trying to keep me from having fun. He doesn't give me what I want when I do good things for him, right? You don't have to pretend in here, guys. It's okay. Our problem is not a lack of faith. Because if that's the case, then you solve your problem by getting more faith. No. Our problem is that we are bent away from the God we were made for, stuck in our betrayal of him and guilty of that betrayal. Do you think faith can fix that? I really believe. I really believe. I do believe in fairies. I do. My theologically minded folks, clue into this. You are justified through faith alone because the Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus. What that means is you are in Christ. His life, what is true of him becomes true of you. In Christ. His life, his faithful life, yours. His death for sin that paid for all of our betrayals of God, yours. We are in him, so much so that Paul can say in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, right? Everything is in him. It is true in him. That is why what sets us apart is not our faith. It is him and only him. This is why Paul says that no one can be justified by the works of the law. Why? Because the problem is way deeper than what you eat. Whether or not you can define yourself by, by your religious behavior or by your, by, your, by your dietary restrictions. The problem isn't just in what you do, it's in who you are. You and I need 
we don't need a reformation. We need a rebirth. Paul says that is what we know. That is how we are made right with God. Okay, so now let me get some brass tacks real quick. First, we're going to do so with a greater rightness. Where is your rightness? Like, what's the ultimate rightness in your life? Is it with God? Don't answer too quick. I mean, a better question may be, what's going to allow you to have intimate relational connection with another Christian? What would force you to betray that or to break that? Well, I mean, Rick, they don't, they don't agree with this or they do that or they vote this way or look at how they behave. They say they love Jesus. Okay, all right. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Rick, I come to church with lots of people I don't agree with. Yeah, I know, I get it. You're right. But what if I were to ask you who is God more pleased with? Or who will God bless? Right? If we're being honest, isn't it those who worship like you and me and believe the theology we do, vote the way we do, wear masks when you think they should, got the shot or didn't? Really? Don't we? And look, I don't deny it. There is, we all have a little bit of a rightness that we connect with certain cultural things, with certain ideological things. We, we do that, right? That's okay. Like, you know, I mean, in certain parts of the world, as a Westerner, if you were to go there and someone puts food in front of you, you better eat it, right? Like, it's crawling on my plate. Doesn't matter. Eat it. Just don't think about it. Just eat it. Why? Because it's, I mean, you're going to, it's really offensive to them. That's like, you might as well have just spit in their food. To us, we're like, what's the big deal? I really don't like this. Can I get something else? That's fine if you come to my house. Well, it's not actually accurate. Ask my wife about my opinions on how you should cook meat. That's not accurate. Uh, I do, I can get offended. But, uh, but what is it? What is it that you, you know, what is it that you think makes you in the right, right? Like in, in, in um, let's talk about subcultures for a minute. In like, in, in like uh, Anglo subcultures, right? There is a cultural value on the idea of like having a, so- a sober, controlled affect. We don't show emotion. We don't get too excited about anything. Whether it's really good or really bad, we just, right? In minority cultures, that's not the case. I had a good friend in seminary, okay, Hispanic guy, and he told me, he said, you know what the problem is with white preachers? I'm like, what, Frank? He said, I can't tell you guys believe any of it. I really can't tell. Do you believe this stuff or not? I'm like, why? He's like, have you ever heard Tim Keller preach? He sounds boring, right? We're like, oh, how dare you? That's the Pope. You can't say that, Right? Listen, I love Keller. Don't get me wrong. But like, he's like, I can't even tell if he believes anything that he says. Because he doesn't get excited about it. He doesn't seem passionate about it. There's no conviction there. We're like, that's so, that's so disruptive. Why are you yelling at me? Like, don't do that. Right? All those things that we think are just polite or right or proper. And I don't care what culture you're from. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but they are not the gospel. See, we can be okay saying that we aren't individually better before God than others, but what about corporately? 
right? Those things that don't make you right, those things don't make you right before God. I don't, I don't honestly, like, I don't care how you voted. Uh, I, I know that there are probably very good reasons why you cast the vote you did. You can probably pull those from the Bible. I get it. Those are areas we can disagree. And I can say, you crazy. And you'd be like, yeah, I'm not crazy. You crazy. And we'd be like, yeah, we're both crazy. All right, that's, that's fine. There are areas where we can disagree, but my rightness is in Jesus Christ, and so is yours if you have faith in him. It is not in my political ideologies. I could be wrong in that. So could you. Rightness is bound up in God and in Jesus, not in those things. You see, the the problem with finding your rightness in a position, a behavior, a cultural norm is that you have to keep it up and you you have to keep guarding it in opposition to others. Because if your culture is what makes you right, if your voting is what makes you right, if your theology is what makes you right, then your culture, your voting, and your theology has to be right. There's no room for discussion. There's no room for refining. We begin to guard those things as if they're the most important thing ever with a, dare I say, religious zeal. Because if we're wrong about those things, then we can't be in the right. You see? Now, let's finish up. Let's talk about a greater identity because this is a huge question today. And it's the same question Peter was wrestling, the same question Paul's wrestling with. What is my primary identity? What is the thing that defines me? What is it? Is it Jesus or is it something else? We need to be honest about this. Are you a Republican or a Democrat Christian? Or are you a Christian who votes a certain way because of their personal convictions? Right? Are you a white Christian, a black Christian, an Asian or a Hispanic Christian? Or are you a Christian who Jesus has redeemed from this people group? And you see, here's the deal. None of these things are bad. They're not bad. None of it. Look, I can't be anything but what I am. I was born in a, uh, I mean, a rural, poor, white family with all that comes along with that. I can't change that. That's who I am. There are assumptions that come along with that. There are certain ways of being that come along with that that you might not have that, you know, they, they do. Some of those things are very broken. And some of those things are pretty beautiful. Just like you. What Jesus does is he comes in and he relativizes all those things. They're no longer ultimate. They can be good or bad. They can be broken and beautiful. And they can be all of those things because they're not the core of who you are anymore. It's not as if everything is, is riding on this little pin and if that pin gets knocked out, boosh. It's, no, no, no. It's set on the, the heavy shoulders of Jesus. And then that other thing is sitting maybe to the side, on top of, around. But it's not what holds you up. But as long as those things are ultimate, then someone has to be those things to be okay with you. You realize that one of the most mind-boggling things about Christians in the first century to Romans to, other, to anyone in their culture, was that they just completely couldn't be categorized. In the day, in the first century, you would, 
I mean, there were distinctions, and those distinctions mattered. You were Roman, you were Greek, you were Jewish, you were barbarian, you were Scythian, you were a slave, you were a free person, you were male, you were female, you were uh, rich, or you were poor. And those things were how you were defined, and they they kind of taught you where you were going to be in life. That was your identity. And then this Jesus guy comes along, and all of a sudden, the rich people are hanging out with the poor people. And the barbarians are hanging out with the Scythians and the Romans. And they're all like, not just hanging out, they're not like just doing business, because they all did business with each other. I mean, like they're, they're acting like they're family. It weirded people out. Like they were convinced there was crazy, nasty stuff going on with those folks, because something ain't right. In fact, it was so not right, they didn't know how to describe them, so they had to come up with a new word. Christian. And they came up with that word because it was the only thing they could figure out. This has something to do with Christ. Something else has gotten them. They're not just the poor. They're not just men. They're not just women. They're Christian. Sunday morning, you've heard this before. I know you have. This is an incredibly segregated time, right? And I don't just mean racially. I mean politically. I mean preferentially, right? We have churches now that basically like satisfy any one of our desires, right? And we even call it this. Oh, God forgive us. We call it, when we're looking for a new church, what do we call it? Church shopping, right? As if we're like going to TJ Maxx. Like, I don't like TJ Maxx. You know, I'm going to go to a different store. You know, I don't like home goods. I'm going to at home. You know, like that's what I'm doing today. Church shopping to find the thing where we can be connected with the other people because they are the most like us. And listen, I've done it too. I know it. I'm not, I'm not, there's no shame. I'm not throwing shame or shade on anybody. I know we do that. But that is one of the things that, that creates this time. So here's my challenge. What would it look like to begin opening your table or your lunch hour to Christians? Well, listen, I'm not going to make it hard. I'll just say Christians at this point. To Christians who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who don't think like you, what would it look like? Well, Rick, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Maybe what Jesus is doing in your life. Maybe you can ask them why they do things differently than you. And not just ask so that you can argue, but ask to listen. Why? Because if they don't agree with you, it doesn't threaten you. Your rightness isn't in your position, it's in Jesus. Which means you're safe. You're safe to listen. You're safe to be persuaded. If you are persuaded, what does that say about you? I don't know that you're not threatened it's okay if you're not persuaded what does that say about you nothing your rightness is in jesus paul confronted peter because his life was not in line with the gospel of jesus and it was leading other people not just astray but in places that would be harmful to them and to others So what would it look like if UPC began to embody 
the living in line with the truth of the gospel? What if UPC were a place where it was like these folks, I don't know what is up with these people, but they don't believe what we believe, but they don't seem to have a problem just hanging out with and listening to people who don't do things the way they do it. They're not rabid about it. It's kind of it's nice. Maybe, maybe I'd like to see what that's like. What would it look like? Because my guess is, even in a culture, and I would say especially in our culture, it may look like people struggling to figure out what to call you. Might have to come up with a new name. Hopefully it'll have something to do with Jesus. <laughs> and not something derogatory, okay? Because your rightness is in him. And only in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, let this be true of us. Let this be true of us in so many ways. Not just in what we say, but in what we do. That we might be able to embody this. as a place where, you know what? It's really not that big a deal if we sit down and ask someone, please tell me, help me understand. Why do you believe that? Why do why do you watch that news show? Help me understand things for, about your culture. Help me, just help me understand. And make us that kind of place where we're not threatened by differences because all that makes us right is in you. And we can rest in that. We need you to do that in us because we can't muster up the faith. We need you. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.